Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Have you ever thought about the importance of purpose? I was thinking about uh, this friend of mine that I knew that just is like the most amazing individual I've ever met. And I think I've probably made reference to him before, but um, this, this was a, a young man that I had met, and uh, he was writing his Ph.D. thesis. And so I remember kind of at the beginning of our friendship, um, I just was kind of talking to him saying, so what are your goals? When do you, when do you plan to finish this thesis? And, and he was working a, a, at our church. And so um, I wanted to know, like, how long do I have before I'm going to need to replace this individual? Because I knew when he was done, when he graduated, he was going to be moving on. And uh, he said, well, I'm, I've kind of set these goals, and I'm going to finish my, my thesis in a year and a half. And, and I, one of my professors when I was in college was working on his thesis for six years. And he kept getting extensions and extensions. And so I was just thinking, well, this is interesting. I wonder if you'll actually finish it in a year and a half. And it was just interesting to see the way this gentleman lived his life because he actually finished his thesis in a year. Like I've not ever personally known somebody who undertook a project that large and finished it like six months early, like 33% early. And one of the things that I thought about just as I looked at his life, one of the things that made him so effective is he, understand, he understood his purpose, he understood his priorities. And there were so many good things, really good things, that he would say no to. He, he didn't do them. Like there were needs that he didn't meet. There, there, were, there were valuable things that he said no to because he knew what his purpose was. And uh, I, I remember just thinking this is the most disciplined person I met. But one time we, were, we, were, you know, we, we went somewhere together, and I was looking at his car. It was just kind of dirty, and his windows were dirty. And I just thought, you know, um, if it, this was my car, I would wash it. And then I just thought to myself, but if I could trade a Ph.D. thesis done in a year or wash my car every week, I'll take that, th that Ph.D. thesis. You ever think about your life and your purpose? See, here's the thing with purpose. When we understand our purpose, it helps us say no to the wrong things and right to the ye uh, yes to the right things. Um, beyond knowing what you should do, when you understand your purpose, it actually helps you do the things that you are doing in the right way. I've seen a lot of people do things that are good things, but they don't actually accomplish their purpose through those things. And uh, I know one of the things in my life is I thought about this with our kids. We want our kids to go to school and get an education. And so we were training them the value of homework. We were training them uh, the value of having friends at school. And so, like, there were those things. But I actually realized that the reason my kids are in school is to learn how to live in the, their school as a believer, to learn how to reach their friends with the gospel. And so that actually, all the work that I spent helping my kids go to school, um, it helped me accomplish the right things, or at least try to accomplish the right things. You can ask my kids if that actually happened. We don't, we don't know, but we know that I was attempting that. And I remember just talking to my kids and saying, you know, you need to turn your homework in on time and you need to do a really good job on your homework and it's not so you can get an A. It's so that your teachers will respect your intellect. 
so that your friends will recognize that you're an intelligent person. And then when you talk about Jesus, when you talk about the gospel, people are going to look at your life and they're going to say, that's a disciplined person. That's a very intelligent person. Man, everything they do in their life, they do well. Um, I should pay attention to this. And, And one of my kids had a really interesting sense of style and would wear the weirdest things. And uh, we, we let our kids kind of express themselves, but every once in a while there was a boundary where I would say, no, you, you can't wear that because that's not respectable. And when you show up dressed like that and looking like that, it lowers people's opinion of you. And actually their opinion of you it doesn't matter, but if you're a Christian and you represent Christ, Man, by all means, express your personality, but don't do it in a way that discredits you because you have a purpose that goes beyond just yourself. You're here to glorify God. And I think that with churches, it is so important for us to understand our purpose because there are a million good things. And if we don't know why God put us here, We won't know what we should do, and we won't know what we shouldn't do. And actually, even the things we do, if we don't understand our purpose, we'll do them in the wrong way. You know, just think about fun things that we do in church. Like, we do things for fun, right? And that's a good positive thing. But if the end of our events is entertainment, that is a complete waste. You know, I've I've done events as a... I planned events in church, and I've done things. We've spent a lot of time and a lot of work doing those events. And as we do those events, I've come to the end of it and think, man, that was really fun. Uh, We had a lot of people involved. And at the end of the day, it was not worth the time we spent doing it because the only value that came out of it was fun. We didn't lay a foundation uh, for relationships that we would be able to use to, to proclaim the gospel message. Uh, we, we, in, in what we did, we weren't purposeful in the way to take this event and allow it to lay a foundation for something of eternal value in the future. You know, we had an event with a bunch of friends, right? And they all showed up and they all hung out with each other, like one of my events. And I just thought, yeah, they could have just stayed home to do that. And you know all the other visitors that were there? Uh, People didn't reach out to them. They didn't get to know people they didn't know. They just hung out with their friends. See, sometimes as a church, if we don't know why God put us here, uh, we miss opportunities even in the things that we do. So as we consider our uh, topic this morning, we're going to be talking about making disciples. And we've been looking at our church mission statement, which I really like, our church mission statement. And it says this, Foothills Church exists to glorify God and make disciples. That's why we're here. And one of the things we talked about last week is that the church is not a building. The church is people. And so if this is the purpose of the church, then that actually means that this is the purpose of your life if you're a part of this church. And so we exist personally to glorify God and make disciples. Now, um, just in case you weren't here um, last week, what, one of the things we talked about was that um, mission statements are great. 
purpose statements are good. They're supposed to help us. But God's word is actually our priority. It's not some cute statement that somebody comes up with. So the question is, is that a biblical purpose? And, of course, I think it is. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I think that is one of the huge things that people have missed in life is that their purpose is to glorify God. I was thinking about, you know, just reading the Bible, and we're going to get to in a second discipleship and what that means, but the significance of reading the whole Bible is that um, a person may grab a single verse in the New Testament and say, well, your purpose is to glorify God. And you might think, well, I don't know, is it really? Is that really my purpose? Is that really why I'm here? But if you read the Bible from beginning to end, there are two things you cannot miss. And those two things are this, that God is good, that he's loving, that he's gracious, that he's merciful, that God takes people that just mess up over and over and he loves them and he restores them. And, and, and when, when their life is miserable and they repent, God forgives them. I think about, uh, you know, uh, Manasseh, the worst king in the Old Testament, this wicked, evil, terrible person. And he ends up, um, God takes him out of his rulership in Israel and throws him into prison somewhere. I mean, this guy was terrible. And he just prays and, and God humbles him and he humbles himself and he repents and God loves him and actually restores him. Look at people like David who, man, they knew better. They had a, an affair, and then he murders somebody. And we see God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. Some of the people you look at in the Old Testament that God did great things with were so frail. They had so many problems, and you think, man, how could God use a person like that? And yet you see God's amazing grace and love and mercy and forgiveness, and, and you just realize that there is always hope. It is never too late. No matter what happens, as long as you're living, there's a loving, merciful, gracious God who loves you. So you see that if you read the whole Bible, starting in Genesis. By the way, it is not different in the Old Testament than the New Testament. Same character of God. In fact, the Bible tells us that God never changes. But there's another thing that you cannot miss if you read the Bible from beginning to end, and that is that everything exists for God's glory. You cannot miss that. Um, you cannot miss the fact that God doesn't worship people. God will be worshipped. And you see that when you have these priests in the Old Testament, Aaron's sons. You've heard about Aaron, the, the brother of Moses. Aaron's sons, they're these priests. And they just decide, you know, I'm going to worship God my own way. I'm going to kind of do what I feel like doing. And the Bible says that they take strange fire and they go worship God in a way that he didn't tell them to worship. They just kind of came up with their own stuff and God kills them. And then what's, if you read the rest of that story, um, God actually says to Aaron and he says to the two brothers of Nadab and Abihu, don't, don't tear your clothes do not grieve. Do nothing to mourn the death of your kids. They dishonored me. I will be seen as holy. You don't even grieve your own, the death of your own kids because I am more important than everything else. 
And that's not just that one story. That's everywhere in the Bible. And when you take that understanding and you take that context, and then you read the New Testament, you will not miss the fact that that hasn't changed. Hasn't changed at all. We exist for God's glory. And when you think about when Jesus called people to discipleship, see, if you just like grab like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If your biblical understanding is to grab some little summary of the gospel message and that's all you read from scripture, you actually miss the point of what it means to be a Christian. I mean, that's true. We quote that verse because it is a summary of the gospel, but we miss the bigger picture. See, when you read Matthew and you think about all the things that Jesus said about discipleship, and you read that in the context of the whole Bible, you realize, wow, Jesus is saying the same thing that God has been saying since the creation of the world. Shall we dig into a little bit of that? Um, our purpose is to glorify God. Of course, we know that. And that actually informs what it means to make disciples. Let's just read Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. So making disciples is to baptize, and it is to teach to obey everything that God says. And so those are the two things that we're going to really emphasize this morning about making disciples. Did you know that the purpose of your life is to be baptized and to baptize others? The other purpose of your life is to know everything that God says and to obey everything that God says. See, there's a lot of people that don't live like that. They live like their purpose is to be happy, that God is there to worship them instead of realizing, no, I'm here to worship God, and that is my purpose. And so uh, this is something that we'll see. Let's jump in here, and let's consider the first thing. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, um, our mission is urgent, and it's essential. You like that? <laughs> it's essential. That's like a COVID-19 thing. Is the church essential? Um, by the way, um, it's kind of interesting if, if you read through the Old Testament, um, all faithful believers saw obeying God, saw fulfilling God's commission as essential. One of the things we talked about when the church just decided that we were going to meet, you know, I was thinking about the way a Christian lives and, and how essential it is to honor the Lord. And I was thinking about Daniel in the Old Testament. You know, he obeyed everything, all the rules, all the regulations. Daniel obeyed everything. In fact, when people hated Daniel and they wanted, they were looking for grounds to accuse him, they just said, man, this person has integrity. He, he, he functions on this really honorable level. Um, kind of like Christians, right? Christians just obey, the, we obey the laws of the land. We do everything we're told. Um, Bible says, uh, you know, whatever the laws are, we don't cheat on our taxes for money. 
Uh, Christians don't do that. They obey everything. They, they're always respectful. They always obey rules. That's just what Christians do. And think about the contrast. Like, uh, I thought about some people saying, hey, if the church meets when, when uh, the government said you can't meet, what kind of testimony is that? I remember thinking to myself, the perfect testimony? Because when they told Daniel, um, when, the, when the king actually passed a law saying, you are not allowed to pray, uh, did Daniel say, wait, well, well, hey, I obey rules, and I obey people, and I obey the, obey the king. He told me not to pray. I won't pray anymore. Um, what did Daniel do? This man that obeyed everything when somebody says disobey God, he says, nope. And the very next day, when he knew the law was signed, he swung his windows open like always, and he bowed down and prayed. And it got him thrown into a lion's den. Uh, by the way, his life was at risk. Man, there was an urgency in Daniel's life to obey what God says. Now, when you live in your neighborhood and you always obey everything and you always honor authority, and then all of a sudden uh, you're told not to honor authority, you know, it's interesting. People said, well, you can still worship God. You can worship God at home. You can worship God watching TV. You know, you can watch it online. Uh, they're not telling you not to worship. Um, you know what Hebrews 10 says? Don't forsake the assembling together, as is the habit of some. See, there are things that happen uniquely when we assemble together. And so when the government says, don't assemble together, uh, we say, okay, and then we assemble together because that's what God told us to do. You know, it's always amazing to me when I think about the urgency of accomplishing what God has told us that we need to accomplish and how quickly some people will set it aside. I'm thinking about uh, Newsom. He signs this thing saying, you cannot go to a restaurant. And then what does he do? He immediately goes to a restaurant. Or Nancy Pelosi, uh, you cannot go get your hair done. And then what does she do? She immediately goes and gets her hair done. And do you know what I think about that? I just think, man, it's amazing. Um, Gavin Newsom cares more about going to dinner. He's willing to violate his own laws to go to dinner. And Christians are willing to set aside what God calls them to do because some random person said they should. And the crazy thing is it's not even the law. Um, so we won't even talk about that stuff. But here's the issue, is that God has given us a commandment to make disciples. He said, go and make disciples. That is an urgent command, and we go do it. We're committed to it. You know, there, were, there, were, there, there are a lot of churches that they just canceled Sunday school. Now, they just canceled it for, like, indefinitely. Some people are just now starting to teach Sunday school again. And I just think if it's that unimportant, let's just never do it. Um, these things are urgent. Making disciples is urgent. We don't set aside what God says to do. And that doesn't mean it's wrong if churches close. There are other reasons. But what it comes down to it is we need to say, what has God told us to do? And then we are going to obey God. We obey God, not men. And so uh, this is an urgent command. It's go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. Everybody needs discipleship. This is something that is a universal need. And discipleship, man, when you think about the value 
of a disciple-making church. And we'll talk a little bit about what a disciple-making church is and what making disciples is. But a disciple-making church, a church that makes disciples, is teaching the way of salvation. A church that makes disciples is a loving, encouraging place where people know each other. They love each other. They're not hard on each other. They're welcoming. They're encouraging. Um, a disciple-making church is, is when you grow up and in your life, if you just look at your life and you see, man, I got things in my life. I'm messed up. There's ways that I'm broken. I have bad habits. I have destructive habits in my life. When I look at my family, my family's broken, and I, and I see brokenness in my kids' lives. I see brokenness in my friends' life. Now, what an incredible gift to be able to go to a church where you can get encouragement and help and wisdom in changing those things. When you think about, man, I really worked hard to teach my kids things, but I missed something. Like I was thinking about how diligent me and Michelle were. We were so careful. We were so focused and so purposeful. And in spite of all our hard work, we messed up so much stuff. And, and I remember looking at some of the things that my kids struggled with as they were growing up. And I remember I could just go, yeah, I, <laughs> I caused that. Yeah, I could see how that's the fruit of being in our house. Hey, we passed on a lot of good things, but we passed on some things that we shouldn't have passed on too. And so um, what we could not do by ourselves, it was really awesome to see our kids plugged in and involved with other Christians and having other people that came alongside them and helped them, encouraged them, and taught them things that we didn't teach them. They were a good example to our kids in ways that we were a bad example to our kids. And that's a disciple-making church where that happens. You know, I think about all the things that I did not learn in my house growing up. But by going to church, a lot of things my dad didn't teach me. I'm thankful for things that I learned from my dad. My dad was not a Christian my whole up growing up life. But I went to church, and I was around other mature, faithful Christian men, and I learned things that I never learned at home that I really needed to know. What an amazing thing being a part of the body of Christ is. Uh, by the way, <laughs> it's essential. One of the things that just really um, blows my mind is how quickly and easily and people set aside things that are essential. Uh, I think about like um, just the, the priority of going to church. It's like for, for myself, you know, I'm a pastor, so in a sense I'm paid to be here, right? Well, well what happens, what would happen if I wasn't a pastor? You know, I often thought about that. I, I think church is important. I tell everybody church is important. So I, I think back to before I was a pastor, I never missed church. Went every week. And then between Foothills and my last church, there was about a six-month gap. And um, in that six-month gap, when I was not a pastor, I was working in a machine shop or actually in a filter company, working on some stuff, making stuff. We didn't miss church because church was essential. And, and we taught our kids from the time that they were young, church is essential. And, and we talk to them about this is what you're supposed to be doing at church. This is what you're supposed to be learning at church. And, and we really tried to emphasize that and, and how easily some people just skip church. See, I think about the Apostle Paul. 
you know, suffering, and you think about how that works out with all this, the COVID stuff that we've come out of and all those things. I was thinking about the Apostle Paul. You know, he, he was going to go to a city at the end of Acts 20, and, and people were just saying to him, hey, Paul, if you go there, if you go to that city, persecutions await. You're going to be beaten. And the whole church is saying, please don't go. And when they said, please don't go, he looks at them and he says, hey, not only am I willing to be beaten, I'm willing to die. And then he goes. Like, what does it communicate to people in your life when they see that kind of priority and urgency for the things of God? You know, uh, I was thinking about there's a pastor in Canada and Canada was not like the United States. But this guy in Canada, they told him, uh, you can't meet. Now, in the United States, when they said that to the church, it's a violation of the First Amendment. It actually is not the law. And as those things went up through the court cases, uh, the Supreme Court said, no, you are not allowed to tell people that they can't meet. And by the way, pay a half a million dollar fine for trying to make them not meet. That's what happened in the United States. That is not the case in Canada. In Canada, it was actually the law. And that pastor said, no, we're still going to meet. So he goes to church and he goes and meets and they actually arrested him and put him in jail. And he sat in jail. Like, what does that communicate to families and to kids when they see a dad say, oh, yeah, you're going to put me in jail? Okay. And he just goes off to jail. Now, when you grow up in a house like that and when you're around people that have that kind of an appropriate commitment to gathering. I think about the Middle East, the, the commitment that people, Christians have in the Middle East and how they put their life on the line to worship. When you grow up in a house and you see a mom or a dad that's willing to go to jail to do the things that God has said they should do, and then somebody says, um, hey, Joe, uh, this weekend we're going to go jet skiing. You want to come? Like, how do you think a kid who's grown up Seeing the priority and the value of that, how are they going to respond to that? They're going to go, actually, my dad was willing to go to jail for church. Um, or somebody in the Middle East. Man, my, I remember Joe. Uh, he got saved and actually his, he got killed by his own family because he wanted to go to church. Uh, when you see that kind of urgency and the essential nature of God's call to go make disciples, which is what we do when we're at church. You know, one of the things I thought about is so many people were so willing to just stay home. <laughs> do you know why I think they were so willing to stay home? Because I think for a lot of churches, when people go to church, they don't make disciples there. Uh, when people go to church, they do fun things and they entertain each other. And guess what? There are a hundred other ways to get it entertained. I mean, just ask me, hey, uh, there's this thing. And if you, I, I love riding dirt bikes. But if you ride a dirt bike, you're going to prison. I'm not going to go ride a dirt bike. I'll go, I'll go surfing or I'll go ride a bike or I'll go do something else fun because there's a ton of different ways to have some fun. So I'm not going to prison for fun. And I think that the problem is that when you have churches that don't make disciples or not committed to things of eternal value, um, we don't see how essential it is. And it's for a lot of people, they stayed home, and I'm thinking to myself, good, it's probably good that you stay home. Because discipling was not happening there. And if discipling is happen, happening, then you shouldn't stay home. So church, it's essential. It's this command. Go there for make disciples of all nations. 
And then the second thing is this. Um, when we think about the essential nature of that, look at Matthew uh, sixteen twenty six. Jesus is talking about this, about salvation. He says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You want to know what's at stake with what the church does in ministry? People's eternity is at stake. There's nothing more valuable. There's nothing more important than a person's relationship with God. And that's what the church is about. And many people don't recognize that. Um, the second thing that we're going to see here is that our mission is to call people into a relationship with Christ. It's our purpose. The church is about salvation. There's tons of churches that they're about, hey, how do you have a better life today? Now, let me give you eight principles on how to be in a better employee. And so it's like they, they're doing good things. Hey, show up and let's feed homeless people. And you can go there and feed people. Or show up, we're going to do these other good things. Like I see, I, I was looking at mission statements. And I was looking at this one mission statement, and it was about loving and encouraging people and meeting needs in the community. You want to know what was missing? Salvation. It was not their commitment, not their purpose. Their purpose was to be a good organization doing good things. And that's not what God has called the church to do. And by the way, that is an example of churches when people do that, when churches do that. It's an example of doing the right thing but missing the purpose of it. When we were, um, when I was uh, ha taking kids on missions trips, we used to go to Mexico. And one of the things that we would do when we would go to Mexico is, is we, would, we would buy people food, we would feed people, we would give kids baths. Like we did all these human, you know, human things, these, these encouragement, helpful, blessed things. And one of the things that I would make the kids do if they were going to go on this missions trip is um, they had to go visit a convalescent home in town twice before they were allowed to sign up. And I just said, um, we're not going to go meet needs in another country when we don't care about meeting the needs next door. Um, I also told them uh, it costs money, like part of the cost of our trip. It's gas, there's food, we gotta stay somewhere while we're on this trip. So you are allowed to pay for that part. But when we go buy food for people, we also are not gonna hand out food somebody else bought. We're gonna hand out our own food that we brought. And I said, so I, we just figured, okay, we need 800 bucks of food that we're gonna buy in a market. So I told the kids, this is how much the trip costs, and this is how much is for your logistics. You're allowed to get your parents to pay for that. But this is the food that we're going to hand out. And that has to be your birthday money. It has to be money that you go somewhere and earn. You have to pay this price with your own money, and nobody else is allowed to give that to you. So that when we stand there and we hand out food, we're handing out, you're, you'll be handing out food that you bought. And so we would go down there and we would serve. And one of the things that we talked about in that whole thing is we don't even speak English or we don't even speak Spanish. So we can't share the gospel with these people that we're ministering to. And I want you to think about that and I want you to pray about that. But the only reason we go here and do this is because this missionary that we're supporting, this missionary that we're going with, he teaches Bible studies. He preaches the gospel to these people. He goes into prison and he shares the gospel with them. And so when we show up, 
we are actually supplementing his message. See, he preaches, but then he brings all these people that come and they do all these good works that validate the gospel message. But never would we go feed people or do any kind of humanitarian things that are not attached to the gospel message. And that's like rearranging chairs on the Titanic. Hey, I'd like you to be comfortable. <laughs> You'll drown in like an hour, but we want you to be comfortable while you're waiting to drown. See, that's the thing is that everything that we do has its greater purpose, the gospel message. Not just we should feed hungry people, but we never just feed hungry people. We feed hungry people in the name of Jesus. We say, yeah, let me give you some food, but let me tell you about the food you really need. Food that will take care of your life for all eternity. See, we're not just about this life. And one of the things when I, I told those kids when they were going to the convalescent home, it's a bunch of old people there. And uh, they just, they love you because you're a teenager, <laughs> and they just want to hold your hand. Man, they just like, can I touch your face? Oh, my goodness, look at your hair. These people at the end of their life, they have nobody left. And I told them, you know what, and, and when we go down to Mexico, you can hand out food, but you can't share the gospel. But guess what? When we go to that convalescent home, not only are you going to show love and to be an encouragement, you are going to share the gospel. Some of these people at the end of their life still don't know the Lord. And so you are going to go, but one of the things you're going to pray about, one of the things you're going to work on doing is sharing the gospel with them. Pray for an open door. Ask them if they know the Lord. Ask them, what would you say if, if you died and you stood before God? What would you say? And we help these kids learn to share the gospel and help them realize that salvation and the gospel is more important than any earthly thing that you do. See, there's a lot of churches that are committed to making people happy and comfortable and entertaining them. But they're not committed to helping people come to know the Lord. That's not their number one priority. They talk about God, but helping people actually understand what it means to know God is not their priority. When you think about um, Jesus' ministry as it was starting, uh, John the Baptist, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? You're a sinner. You need to turn away from your sin and turn to God. That was what John the Baptist said at the beginning of Matthew. Jesus talked about repentance, the need to turn from sin to him. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes should not perish. See, the thing is, if people don't believe, they're going to perish but have eternal life. And so we believe in Christ, but we're, our purpose is salvation, the gospel of repentance. When you look at Acts chapter 2, um, it says this. So Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2. This is where the church has started. He's preaching, and he says, you guys killed Jesus. You killed the Messiah. And so he just preaches about people's need for salvation and who Jesus was and what Jesus accomplished. And when they heard it, the Holy Spirit convicted their heart. Look what it says. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you a little bit about baptism. Baptism means salvation. That's what that's talking about. It's not that water baptism saves you. Water baptism doesn't save you. But in the New Testament, as soon as a person became a Christian, they were immediately baptized. Now, what baptism is a symbol of it. You know how it says there, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? The Bible tells us that when you receive Christ, that you are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Romans chapter 6 talks about the fact that we were baptized into Jesus' death. And because of that, we will... We, uh, we will be with, we will be like him in his resurrection, that God will give us a new life. So water baptism is a symbol of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens to every person at salvation. So what saves you? Well, what saves you? You are saved through faith by God's grace. But the thing that saves you is Ephesians 2 talks about how we were dead and we were made alive. Do you know how a dead person is made alive? They are baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is what saves a person, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So as soon as you receive Christ, you are baptized. If you are a Christian, you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's salvation. So water baptism is a picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you want to know something? Baptism did something else in the New Testament. Baptism did something else. One of the things that Jesus told his disciples is he says that anybody who wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Anybody who loves his brother, sister, uh, father, mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anybody who does not take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And then he talked about how um, the world hates me and has rejected me. And if you follow me, you will be hated and you will be rejected. You know, anybody who loves father, brother, mother, sister more than me is not worthy of me. Um, if you've been reading the Old Testament and you read the story about how Aaron's sons were killed and then Aaron was told you're not allowed to mourn their death and now you read the gospel and you go, oh, we have to love God more than we love our family members. You want to know what happened to Jews when they went out and got baptized? They were rejected by their family. They were persecuted. Many of them were killed. Now picture this. You live in Iran and you've been raised as a good Muslim person and as you've grown up and as you've pursued that, somebody shares the gospel with you and you become a Christian. And then you walk out in your town. Now, by the way, you live in a town with people who cut people's heads off on the Internet, who strap bombs to themselves and go blow people up. Like, they are completely committed to their religious beliefs. They value that more than anything else. Now, become a Christian. Walk down to the city. If you live in, in Iraq, walk into the city to a river and go get baptized. It's going to happen to you. You may not live. Um, think about Stephen, right? You have this whole story of the church being born. Stephen goes and preaches a sermon, and people listen to it, and at the end they get mad. And you want, you want to know what they did to Stephen? They threw rocks at him until he was dead. You want to know what the Apostle Paul did when he saw that? He was there holding coats. 
when, when the Apostle Paul saw people get baptized, um, and what pa- Paul, Paul would do is he would travel around and he would say, okay, where are the Christians? You know how they knew who Christians were? Because they were the list of people who went and got baptized. Paul would probably come into town and say, hey, where's the Christians? And they would think, well, okay, I saw Joe get baptized. I saw Sue get baptized. He'd probably give them their address. You want to know what the Apostle Paul, how he described his life? As he traveled to and fro trying to find Christians, and he would persecute them to the death. Paul tried to kill people. He would get them, and he would put so much pressure on them, he tried to force them to blaspheme. That, like, that's the Apostle Paul talking about, before I met Christ, I hunted Christians, I tormented Christians, I tried to make them blaspheme. And actually, Paul says about himself, I am the worst of the people who follow Christ, of the people that Jesus saved. I am the worst because I persecuted the church. Do you know how Paul got saved? He was actually on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. And God showed himself to him and saved him. And then he says, hey, I have a follower in Damascus. Go talk to him. You wonder what that guy said? He was like, Paul, no, not that guy. Do you have any idea what he's done to harm the church? So when the Bible says, go make disciples, baptizing them. You know, when Jesus says, if you wish to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Like, that was not confusing. That was exactly what people had to do when they became Christians. That's what baptism was. You see, for us, baptism is kind of a cute thing where you get a new Bible and you come up on the stage and you get baptized and everybody cheers and says, yay, you know. That's what baptism is for us. And by the way, that's good. That's an incredible blessing. I'm very thankful for that. But when you think about what the gospel was, what Jesus called people to, what Jesus called people to. See, when you read the whole gospel of Matthew, Jesus has been explaining this. See, it's very clear we are not saved by our works, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anybody should boast. Um, That's pretty clear, right? Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. But this whole idea of, I'm going to become a Christian so God can worship me. And what this means is I'll become a Christian and I'll be rich. I'll get everything that I want. In fact, um, God will obey me. Every morning I'll wake up and I'll pray. I'll say, Lord, I would like a new car. God, I want to date this person. Can you make that work out? God, I would like a promotion at work. And so, God, would you please worship me? And make everything in my life work out just right for me. And if you don't, I'm mad. Uh, God, I don't want to be sick and I don't want to have cancer. And if I get get cancer, how dare you? Because don't you realize that you obey me and you worship me? Now, how many people grow up with that mentality when we say, hey, would you like to become a Christian where all your problems will go away and you'll be happy? And we wonder why people are so disappointed. You wonder why the church is so weak and empty. You wonder why people say, um, hey, don't go to church. You might get sick there. And everybody's like, cool, I'll stay home. 
or white people let their kids tell them, don't go to church. And as parents, well, yeah, I'd like to go to church. My kids said no. Um, you just think about the way people function and prioritize and what they communicate instead of realizing, no, God put me here to worship him, and he's amazing. He's the most wonderful treasure. See, that's what it means when it says baptize them. Like, think about that. That's the purpose of the church is to call people to salvation with a biblical understanding of what that means. And then it goes on, and it's pretty clear uh, what it goes on to say. The third thing is this. We train people to obey everything God commands. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. By the way, people understand the Trinity. Like baptism, that, that God is a trinity, that is in the baptism thing. Um, so baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Um, if you read the Old Testament, the fact that we obey God is not confusing. Like that's like one of those basic things is God explains to us how to live. In fact, in Deuteronomy, the end of Deuteronomy, God calls the nations uh, of Israel together and says, I'm going to show you the way of life and blessing or the way of death and cursing. If you follow me and you obey me, everything will go well for you. Um, you will, when you're going into battle, you're always going to win. And he just goes through this whole list of all these wonderful things that will happen if they obey him. And he says, and if you disobey me, your life will be a disaster. You will be cursed. You will be crushed and destroyed by your enemies. And he just says, choose who you're going to serve. And see, for Christians, becoming a Christian means that we choose and we serve God. And some of those unique promises to the nation of Israel, if you read the whole Old Testament, you realize don't apply to you because they were written to the nation of Israel. But God hasn't changed. And when you come to Christ, you come making a commitment to obey. And we read through all of Scripture and we see how that works its way out. And Jesus says that right here. Somebody becomes a disciple when they become a Christian. You teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. It's kind of interesting when you think about some of the things that churches are committed to. Um, where God's word is never opened. The Bible is never read. People are completely ignorant of what God says. Um, there are people who they date people, they call themselves Christians, they go to church, and they move in with people they're not married to. There are people who just do all kinds of things that they don't, first of all, don't even know what God says. And if they did know, it's like, oh, no, I, I'll, take that, I'll take that on. I'll give that the attention it deserves. And they just disregard what God says. See, our job as Christians and as a church is to teach people to obey everything that God says. And the first thing is you've got to know what God says, and then you need to know how to obey it. So how does a church teach people to obey God? Well, the most basic thing is we read Scripture. It is our main thing. Uh, we read it. We understand it correctly, and then we teach people to obey it. How do you do that? By your example. First thing, what does James 3.1 says? Let not many of you become teachers, for in doing so you incur a stricter judgment. How about one from the Old Testament, Ezra 7.10? Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it. 
and then to teach it in all Israel. So we disciple people by saying, by, by showing how we prioritize and love and obey what God says. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. And also he says, if you love me, you'll obey me and my commandments won't be burdensome. Obeying God is a joy for people. And one of the things we do is we show people that obeying God is a joy. Um, the other thing we do is, uh, did you know all the ways that you fall short also become a part of your discipleship? Oh, I remember when my kids were little and sometimes things would happen and, and Michelle and I might get in a fight or we might, I might blow it in some way or do something that I shouldn't do. And I love pulling my kids and just saying, hey, you know how we teach you that you need to obey God and confess and repent because you struggle with sin? Guess who else struggles with sin? Me and mom. And when you saw this, when you saw me talk to mom that way, that was wrong. And, um, and that comes actually, part of the reason I do that is because I spent a whole life developing bad, sinful habits in my life. And from the time I've come to know the Lord, I'm working really hard on changing those habits. And actually, I, tell my, I would help my kids realize it's not you, just you that struggles with sin. It's all of us. And, and then when, when they would do something they shouldn't do, and I would just say, hey, God loves you, and God's going to forgive you. And you know what? I love you, and I forgive you. And I'm going to forgive you the same way I need you to forgive me because we're all broken and we all struggle. And you take them to Romans chapter 7, verse 14 to 28, where Paul says, I find myself doing the things that I hate and the things I really want to do, I don't do. And you just say, hey, we're all in this battle where we want to obey God, but we have the sinful flesh. And part of discipleship is helping kids see how you deal with your sin, helping other people see how you deal with sin, helping other people, uh, showing your kids um, love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, and showing other people love and mercy and grace and forgiveness the same way you need it, right? Judgment will be merciless to the one who shows no mercy. That's, by the way, why the church is the most loving, gracious, merciful place you could go. It's because it's full of people who need forgiveness and they realize they need forgiveness. And they model that and they show that to other people. See, we teach people to obey everything God says. What God says is not optional. Nobody reads the Bible honestly and feels like, oh, obeying God, well, <laughs> that's optional. I'll take that under advisement. But actually, God, no. I don't worship and obey you, <laughs> you worship and obey me. I disregard everything you say, and then I get mad at you if things go, don't go right in my life. Nobody reads the Bible and comes to that conclusion. They look at people like Moses, who was diligent, faithful, humble, and he disregarded God, and God said, okay, you don't go into the promised land. They read passages like Hebrews 12 that says God disciplines the people that he loves. So if you don't have discipline in your life, you're not a real child of God. And, and when you read the New Testament with the understanding of the Old Testament, it all makes sense. And there are many churches that have forgotten that they are here to make disciples, which is to baptize people and then to teach people to obey everything that God has said. And uh, this is the amazing thing is that uh, our mission is guaranteed to be successful. Do you like that? 
You know, Psalm 127 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. For it's vain that you rise up early and go to rest late, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. We can't accomplish what God has called us to, comp to accomplish, but God accomplishes it. Um, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Isn't that awesome? You know that Mexico trip that I did? Um, God's always with us. He's going to help us accomplish things and be successful. Uh, we went to Magic Mountain. Uh, we did sleepovers. We did pool parties. Uh, we did all kinds of things. And at the end of the year, I would always do a survey of kids in youth group. And I would say, what was your favorite event? Would you want to know where people had the most fun? A hundred percent of the years. I probably did this 20 times. Um, probably 20 years I was doing it. And in those 20 years, 100% of the time, you want to know what everybody's favorite, most fun trip was? Not once was Magic Mountain on the list. The Mexico trip was always on the list. Because the most satisfying, encouraging, um, blessed event, the, the, the best thing you could ever do is when you do things of eternal value, when you love people and you're connected and you're working side by side, working on things that matter rather than things that will just be burned up. The best, most fun, most enjoyable church to be around and to be a part of is a disciple-making church. And that's what God calls us to do. And so if we understand our purpose is to glorify God and make disciples, well, in a few weeks, um, unconditionally accepting people and encouraging a transforming life in Christ, well, those are going to make more sense when you understand the first two things. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for being so clear and so obvious. Lord, we can struggle. We can, we can miss our purpose for living. We can miss why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing. We can come to church doing the wrong things and start to feel like it's not essential. Lord, we can forget the absolute necessity of personally being a part of the body of Christ and functioning. We can forget the absolute necessity of bringing the people that we love to the church where they can be a discipled and come to know you and learn to obey and be blessed by everything that you tells, tell us. God, I thank you that um, obeying you, no matter how difficult it is, is always what is best. Help us to learn to be people who think that way. In your name.